So we are in Luke's Gospel, specifically in a section of Luke's Gospel that has a number of parables that Jesus tells within that section. And we started with the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I kind of decided at that point to take on a challenge of interpreting the parables that follow the parable of the Good Samaritan in light of the questions that are, are asked, first by the lawyer who says, who is my neighbor, and then by Jesus, who proved to be neighbor by the man stranded and in need by the side of the road. And so we're looking at that question, who is my neighbor and how do we become neighbors and using the parables to do that, to kind of help us to understand the work, if you will, of neighboring. Today we come to the parable of the unjust judge and the widow. It's also known as the parable of the importunate widow. I love that word importunate. It's very much a Latin cognate word. And don't imagine many of us use it very regularly in sentences, (laughs) but it says exactly what the parable is about. And uh, let me just give you a little Latin lesson. I know enough Latin to stick in your eye, but the dictionary helps you to that when there's a little L next to the definition and, and it describes it. And the Latin root of importune is basically turns that word into meaning simply without access. In, meaning not, or the negation, and portus, or port, or access, or harbor, without harbor, without access. That's what someone who is importunate is, and also is sort of without access, and therefore very vehement. And so that's the other, the meaning of importunate is that it means very vehement, kind of a little bit vexing, frankly, a a pain in the you-know-what, someone who just keeps pressing. And it's the kind of person, ultimately, that you really want to go away and you don't want to be neighbors with. All right? So at some era, this was called mainly the parable of the importunate widow. In other words, why is she such a pain in the butt? This comes in the first of two parables in the context of Jesus talking about prayer. Next week, we'll be talking about the parable of the Pharisee and the the tax collector. And the parable of of the importunate widow is really addressed to the disciples and the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is really addressed to the Pharisees. And that often happens in this series of parables is that Jesus kind of switches back and forth or combines messages to both of those two, those groups. When he takes his disciples aside in order to explain what the way of following him looks like. And when he kind of crashes into the Pharisees comfortable reality and says, you know, this is kind of who you are. And we'll end with one of those parables actually in this series on August 6th, which is the most disturbing of, I think, all of these parables of the wicked tenants who take property and Jesus likens the Pharisees to the wicked tenants. Anyway, that's more to come, so stay tuned. But this parable is addressed to the disciples and let's listen to it. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, 
though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Lord, help us to find ourselves in this parable and the point of of contact that you invite us to consider. And then lead us to that awareness of the truth of your deep love and your steadfastness in covenant relationship with us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I had a preaching professor, not my idolized preaching professor, but another one who was at the seminary at the same time who was kind of partnering with the main guy at one point, and he would critique sermons also. And I remember one time listening to a critique of someone's sermon who used a rather lengthy poem in the, the sermon. And he says, he says, you got to be really careful about poetry. He said, you know, it's usually not read very well, i.e. you didn't look at it enough to read it well. And secondly, everyone's eyes begin to glaze over after about the second stanza. Well, I'm going to ignore that advice today. <laughs> and I've, I've given you actually a copy of the poem that I want to use, and it's out on the Narthex table if you didn't get it. But it's Robert Frost's Mending Wall. It's one that we all know one line from, and that's good fences make better neighbors. And that's how I thought about it for this series is obviously the whole notion of barriers to neighboring and, and neighboring. And I think this is the alternate text to our scripture text this morning. It's, it's a lovely prayer, and I'm going to do my best to read it the best I can. But you've got it now, so you can read it over. And that's the thing you have to do with poetry, by the way. Don't feel bad if you have to read it 10 times before you get it. That's kind of the point of poetry. So just you got you to gotta spend time with it. And it's, it's a way of sort of slowing us down. And this, so this poem, The Mending Wall, I wanna, or Mending Wall, I want to read it. Because like a lot of things with Frost, you'll see some syntax changes and mending wall is both kind of a description of a noun, you know, uh, the, what the wall is, it mends, and also the act of mending the wall is what he's talking about. So let me read it for us. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that sends the frozen groundswell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps even two can pass abreast. The work of hunters is another thing. I have come after them and made repair where they have left not one stone on a stone, but they would have the rabbit out of hiding to please the yelping dogs. The gaps, I mean, no one has seen them made or heard them made, but at spring, mending time, we find them there. I let my neighbor know beyond the hill, and on a day we meet to walk the line and set the wall between us once again. We keep the wall between us as we go. To each the boulders that have fallen to each, 
and some are loaves and some so nearly balls we have to use a spell to make them balance stay where you are until our backs are turned we wear our fingers rough with handling them oh just another kind of outdoor game one on a side it comes to little more there where it is we do not need the wall he is all pine and i am apple orchard my apple trees will never get across and eat the cones under his pines i tell him and he only says good fences make good neighbors spring is the mischief in me and i wonder if i could put a notion in his head why do they make good neighbors isn't it where there are cows but there are no cows before i built a wall i'd ask to know what i was walling in or walling out and to whom i was like to give offense something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down i could say elves to him but it's not elves exactly and i'd rather he said it for himself i see him there bringing a stone grasped firmly by the top in each hand like an old stone savage armed he moves in darkness as it seems to me not of woods only and of the shade trees he will not go behind his father's saying and he likes having thought of it so well and he says again good fences make good neighbors The thing I love about this poem is that it's about encounter. It's about two neighbors meeting and the wall is actually an opportunity for the two neighbors to meet and maybe it sounds like just once a year they meet. It's an opportunity to connect to repair the gap to fill the breach that the weather or hunters has caused and also an opportunity for Frost, the narrator in this poem, to consider what makes the breach. It's another opportunity to think about walls and, and why we have them and to ask, especially in Frost's case, those existential and relational questions that come out of having that wall and repairing that wall. And it brings him to the point of saying, maybe we don't need this wall. After all, you know, your pine trees are not under any threat of the apples from my trees eating the cones and therefore destroying the pine trees that are coming up there's there's no battle going on here there's no cows to keep in or out of either our of our properties and so at that point the neighbor simply repeats his line that he offers first of all good fences make better neighbors the fence divides, but the fence also brings together. And there's really two levels of relationship here that the wall that they're mending is also mending them in some ways in relationship. There's kind of a utilitarian level to this whole story, and that's what the man on the other side is really speaking of. This makes us better neighbors coming out here because we need boundaries and we come together to establish those boundaries so i know what i'm taking care of and you know what you're taking care of but it also keeps us at arm's length 
and we don't have to be at each other's Christmas celebrations. <laughs> we don't have to chat all the time. We don't have to stay in touch. We get what we need. We get the distance that I like. And we get without a deep commitment to going into deep relationship, but having just enough relationship, a kind of utilitarian community building that takes place. But there's another level going on here, and it's the level that, that Frost speaks of, and it's that empathic and community building level that fences are something we build together. And maybe that helps us to know one another. In fact, you have him musing at certain points. I wish he would say this. I wish he'd come forward and give me what's in his gut, like I've come forward and given him in what's in mine. The wall actually is an opportunity for knowing and being known. And so he says, spring is the mischief in me. In other words, I'm kind of a little cheeky right now because the sun's out and the snow is melted and I feel pretty good. And I'm just gonna push him on this a little bit. But he, he doesn't budge. And yet, even though he's offered that opportunity to move to that place of intimacy, empathy, community, shared concern, and different views of what's going on there, the connection doesn't quite take place to Frost's desire. And I think it parallels with our text tremendously. Because Luke sets up the parable with an introduction, and we should that we should pay attention and, and not lose heart in prayer, that we should be persistent in prayer, that we should be like this widow and kind of make a pest of ourselves with God. And the widow comes, therefore, and says to the unjust judge, I need you to address my cause. I need you to think about and respond to this injustice because that's your job. So do your job and recognize that I have a valid cause here. The judge, as Jesus tells us, and I love the, the hyperbole of this, neither feared God nor respected people. <laughs> I mean, I just have the image of a 17th century French aristocrat with lots of frills going. <laughs> it's something that Jesus gives us some caricatures here. You know, this bent over widow who's just ragging on this judge and raging and the judge who is indifferent. He neither fears God nor respects people like Greta Garbo, he wants to be alone. <laughs> I simply don't care about the injustice. So the judge ignores and refuses and the widow persists. And finally, there is that decision that is totally utilitarian. If I attend to this, she'll shut up and I'll get what I need. She'll get what she needs. And then I'll have silence and I can go back to freedom and peace. And we have to imagine Jesus smiling as he tells this parable. We have to imagine him smiling because he knows how hyperbolic it is. And he, he means it as humorous because this feisty widow and this arrogant judge are great archetypes of the point that he's trying to make. 
And for a short minute, the wall crumbles, but it is a short minute. It is a temporary breach, a temporary gap. And you have the sense that it immediately goes back up as the story continues that we don't hear. Each returns to his or her own place and approaching the wall made a connection, albeit for a brief one. But the utilitarian purpose is maintained, the distance is maintained, a good fence has made a good neighbor and both get what they want and they can go back to life of their individual concerns. But then comes the punchline. And I think this is where we hear the message of this parable. This isn't a formula for getting what you need. This isn't Jesus saying, if you just pray harder, if you just get more people to pray, if you just pray for it this way, God will hear. I don't know about you, but that's never worked for me. It's something else. What he's doing is saying, listen to the unjust judge who said what he says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He calls us to consider who God is more than what our prayers will do. He calls us to consider and to pray accordingly, to keep praying, to stay at the wall, to keep asking, to keep exploring, to keep wondering, to sit before the question of justice and God's seeming reticence to address it. Because we all know that feeling. Sure, we're out here repairing the wall but there is something that doesn't love walls. Something that doesn't love walls. What are we walling out or walling in? That's the question that we need to be asking. And so Jesus says, be persistent. Keep coming to that wall between you and God and let spring be the mischief in you. And join the psalmists in their prayer how long? I invite you to go back and read Psalm 13 that Connie read for us earlier today and count the number of times how long is repeated. That tells us something about persistence in prayer and frustration with that persistence. But it's the same thing Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. God actually wants to be your neighbor and wants justice for all. It's not so much about how we pray, but about the one to whom we pray. And yet what makes this hard is that there are times when this doesn't seem true, that we get God's silence where we ask how long and what we hear in response is crickets. No assurance that God cares necessarily, and, and that gets us wondering why in the world we should persist. But Jesus says, keep asking, keep persisting. Your heavenly Father is not at all like this judge. 
He doesn't just give you what you want and go back to his house. He actually cares about ultimate justice. I think the point has already been made, but I'll say it again. Prayer is not merely a transaction. It's a relationship. Praying harder or longer or getting more voices to pray, like getting more signatures on a petition, is not really the point of this parable. Prayer is not just about getting God to do something for us. It is about allowing God to access us. It's about relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about union. It's about the risk of trusting that in God's kingdom, justice is the norm and appealing to the author of justice to make himself known. And Paul's advice toward the end of his letter to the Philippians in chapter 4 says it all. Where he invites us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be seen by all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Teach us persistence and patience, O God, and teach us what it means to be in relationship with one another and with you, and how that requires both mystery and confidence doubt and understanding and help us to persist for we know of your steadfast love and we want to live in the reality that we'll never be separate from it for we pray in jesus name amen